So today we are in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, uh, as we've gone through this study so far, book by book in the Old Testament, uh, we have come to a couple places that have been harder than others. Uh, Ezekiel is one of those that was very difficult for me. Um, so I, even to the point where I asked Miss Deb this morning, I said, I said, you think this Bible study's worth it? Do you think it's fruitful? Do you think it's, it's good enough? And she's like, I think it's great. I think you're doing a good job. I said, it's not about doing a good job. I said, this one just about did me in this week. This one has been um, a lot. There's uh, 48 chapters in the book of Ezekiel and every one of them have awesome things in it. So uh, there, this is, uh, we will see what happens. I, I told uh, Deb, I, I show her my notes usually and I show her, you know, how, how many notes I have. I usually have two pages, two and a half pages of notes. Uh, we got five today. And the last, uh, twel- the last 15 chapters are literally just uh, 11 words. So I've, we've, <laughs> we have, I've exhausted my brain this week as much as possible um, in this book. The book of Ezekiel is uh, set in a very unique, specific time. This is one of those that I feel like we have to know kind of where, where it is, where it sets, who Ezekiel is, where he is called to and what he's called to in order to fully understand and grasp all of the measure of what Ezekiel is. Last week we talked in Lamentations, uh, which was written by Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Uh, Today we are looking over at Ezekiel. Ezekiel lived at the same time as Jeremiah, um, very similar time frames. Uh, They overlapped. But the interesting thing about Ezekiel, if you remember the way that uh, uh, whenever Judah was being taken captive by Babylon... Uh, there was a couple of, of captivities that took place in order to get all of Jerusalem, the, the city and the, the nation, into captivity, which we talked about during uh, some time of the Chronicles. There was, there was three, three times there was, there was captives taken to Babylon. And then at the end of all of it, there's three reforms that take place the, of the remnants that go back. And so that's, that's after the captivity is, captivity is over. Uh, and we know we saw some of that in the book of Ezra, um, the book of Nehemiah, those captives that were leaving captivity. Um, so this is, this is at the beginning of the captivity time. Jeremiah was the one, if you remember, last week and the week before, Jeremiah was the one crying out to the people of Israel, in, or the people of Judah, in, in the city of Jerusalem, this is all going to be taken over. We are going, this is, this is doom, it's bad, it's awful. We're going to get taken captive, we're going to be slaves. Jerusalem's going to fall. So he was in Jerusalem doing that. Well, at the same time, Ezekiel was taken into captivity in, the, in, the, uh, in one of those earlier uh, captive raids. Uh, in fact, there was a, a season where 10,000 of the Jewish nation was taken into captivity uh, before Jerusalem ever fell. In fact, it was 11 years before Jerusalem fell. So Ezekiel was taken into Babylon, and Ezekiel was there to prophesy to the Jews in, that were in exile in Babylon. So you've got Jeremiah. So I just want you to kind of picture this. This is so we understand a little bit fuller. You've got Jeremiah in Jerusalem telling the Jews there. This is, he's prophesying to those in Jerusalem. And you've got Ezekiel, who had been taken away into captivity, who is prophesying to those who were in exile. So you've got Ezekiel speaking and prophesying to the Jews in captivity, while you've got Jeremiah speaking to the Jews in 
in Jerusalem. And so this is going on simultaneously, which is very interesting because these two guys, the way some of this stuff lines up is, is awesome. And you don't really see it if you just read one book in the Bible. You have to kind of see the full overarching story to watch how this overlays with one another. Ezekiel is a guy who... Um, he was, when he was taken into captivity uh, with those 10,000, this was the, uh, during the reign of Judah's last king, whenever uh, Ezekiel ended up in exile. So Zedekiah, if you remember him, uh, his reign was going on the last of Judah's king, uh, kings. He was, uh, so Ezekiel was taken into captive during that reign, uh, 11 years before Jerusalem fell. And uh, they, um, he, now here's what's, what's crazy about that. Uh, Again, he, sp he was spending time with the exiles while Jeremiah was spending time with those not yet exiled. And the Jews in both places were confused and kind of thought they were the favorites. Like it was, we'll see in just a few minutes uh, what happens in that. Um, and so uh, Ezekiel, he, one of the things interesting about the book of Ezekiel, which makes it um, uh, very traceable, but it also makes it very difficult to study, he dates uh, prophecies uh, 13 times. In 13 times throughout this book, he will date this month, this day, this year, this thing. He will date what he's prophesying, which is awesome if you're going to do a deep dive study and you've got a big map and you've got a big timeline and you're seeing it all line up. It's kind of hard because there's so many though. So whenever you do an entire book at a time, good luck digesting it today. Okay, it's, this is recorded. You can go back and listen if you need more information. Um, but he dates his uh, prophecies and his visions uh, 13 times. He, is, uh, he begins prophesying his fifth year in Babylon. So here's what happens. 11 years before Jerusalem falls, he gets taken captive uh, into Babylon with the 10,000. And when he gets there, it's five years before he, before he starts prophesying. So he's in Babylon for five years. Then he begins prophesying. And then six years later, the, the, the city of Jerusalem ends up falling to Nebuchadnezzar uh, whenever the, the final siege takes over the, the city of Jerusalem. So uh, all that to say, uh, he was uh, the first 24 chapters in the book of Ezekiel uh, deals with the, the, those exiles in Babylon before Jerusalem fell. So that gives you kind of a timeline. So 24 of those chapters, the first 24, are before Jerusalem ends up falling. So he's speaking to the exiles about the, the city of Jerusalem. He's speaking about the things that are, that are coming, that are happening uh, in those first 24 chapters before Jerusalem fell. Now that's important for us to think, to know, it's like somebody coming in and saying, uh, America is going to fall, and we say to them, okay, yeah, right. And they're like, no, it's going to fall. It doesn't fall for six more years, right? So six years, we hear of it, and it just kind of becomes numb to it. So the first 24 chapters are him talking about specifically the, uh, the judgment coming on Jerusalem. Um, and what we, should, what we should remember is that... Ezekiel, you know, you, we hear this in Jeremiah's voice. Jeremiah was speaking to the people in Jerusalem and saying, this is going to, Jerusalem's going to fall, Jerusalem's going to fall. There had already been two deportations of exiles, okay? So Ezekiel was, was here in Babylon as the, the second group that had been taken captive. So the people in Jerusalem should have saw something coming, right? Because there's been two taken, two groups taken captive and put into slavery, so instead, so that I, in my brain, if I, when I'm reading it, I'm like, why did Jerusalem not say, 
we should probably change something, right? We keep getting taken over. We keep getting, our people keep going missing and they keep being held captive now. They're prisoners in Babylon. Something should change. So I would think, you know, what sparks great revival, I would think that, that, you know, you keep getting overtaken and overtaken. At some point, you're going to be like, okay, Lord, enough's enough. What do I need to do? But instead, Jerusalem kept falling deeper into their idolatry and into their abominations against the Lord. They, they, were, they were going against where God was going. They're, they were becoming further and further away. So much so, what we're going to see in this book, there are some graphic, incredible things that we see in Ezekiel, some visions that he has about the people that are still in Jerusalem that make no sense. I mean, it's like, where, how far gone can you, can you possibly be? So they slid deeper into their immorality, into their idolatry, even though two, two, two groups, two big deportations of these groups had come. Um, we, if, if you... Following this deportation of this 10,000 that Ezekiel was in, so I want to give you another little kind of lineup timeline. Uh, if you are, which, you know, we had said that uh, these two groups misunderstood both prophets. So you got Jeremiah in Jerusalem, you got Ezekiel in Babylon. Uh, following that 10,000 that got deported, uh, it also aligns with Jeremiah chapter 24. Jeremiah had had a vision or a prophecy about good figs and bad figs. And so if you remember that in our study in Jeremiah, which I know there's like, <laughs> there's been so many words. I apologize for all the words. There are so many words. Um, but if you follow that in Jeremiah 24, there were some good figs and bad figs. Well, the, the truth of the matter is the prophecy actually meant that the ones, the good figs were those that were actually taken away from Jerusalem and the bad figs were left in Jerusalem. And we know we see that later because you don't. It's hard to see a prophecy in real time because you don't. You, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, as they say. Um, and so, whenever they, uh, when, whenever these these two groups had, whenever the ten thousand had left, Jeremiah's vision in chapter twenty four of Jeremiah says there's there's good figs and there's bad figs. Uh, the the people left in Jerusalem thought they were the good figs. Of course they did. They say, well, we haven't been taken captive. We're, we're God's favorites. We're the ones that are supposed to have the city. So the people in Jerusalem thought, we're the good figs. Everything's good. And the people that were in exile thought, we must be the bad figs because now we're in slavery. Well, what we're going to find in just a minute is Ezekiel said, it's better to be in slavery in Babylon than experience the wrath of God that he's about to pour out on Jerusalem. So he's saying he spared those, and like I got chills even thinking about that. Like how scary of a thought is that? It's better to be out, like held in slavery of the world rather than to be experience the wrath of God. Like that's a serious thing. And so in uh, both groups, though, <clears throat> they had it misunderstood. They 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 read the prophecy wrong, and because they thought, well, we must be the good ones because we're still left in our homeland. And even the ones that were in exile, they still didn't believe Jerusalem was ever really going to fall. So they weren't believing Ezekiel. Well then, so God does something creative. God does something real. I love the Lord. He's so fun. He's so good. He's so cool. Um, they, uh, they, because here's what, the exiles were delusional. They thought we're, we're held captive, but we'll end up back in our hometown. Everything will be fine. And Ezekiel, you know, you got Jeremiah who's saying Jerusalem's going to fall. And they're like, no, no way. You got Ezekiel who's like, Jerusalem's going to fall. They're like, no, no way. It's not going to happen. It's God's city. It's like, yeah, but you, you've done messed up God's city. So they're, they're delusional. You've got the ones in Jerusalem who are delusional. They don't believe anything. 
So we get to this guy, Ezekiel. Ezekiel is called for a very unique purpose. As we said, he is there to prophesy to the exiles um, while, while Jeremiah is dealing with the remnant that's still in Jerusalem. Um, and his story is very interesting. He, he, he shares the visions of God and the, the sermons and all that in very unique ways. Uh, he, in fact, he gives some, uh, some he, would just, he would give a vision of what he sees. Some he would act out a sermon or do it without words. And then some he would preach with words. Um, and and some, sometimes he would just straight up predict exactly what was going to happen, which was very unusual for a lot of uh, uh, prophecy. Some, a lot of times prophecy would be in figurative language or in, uh, we've seen um, even in uh, uh, whenever Solomon would speak in certain places, he would give a lot of figurative, uh, colorful illustrations. Sometimes Ezekiel would just say exactly what's about to happen, and it would happen. Like, it was, it was wild. So we see um, that in, in the first part of this, what we will find is there are, there are some theologians that believe and, and scholars that believe, in, and there's, there's some scripture here that I want to show you, that believe that Ezekiel, for the time that Jerusalem was still standing, uh, was made to be mute or dumb, couldn't speak. And so there's a few instances in, in Ezekiel that show us that he was made to be quiet. In chapter 3, verse 26 uh, was one of those places. Um, in chapter 24, verse 27. Um, and then uh, another part, and I'll share some of those in, in a little while. We've got to get to where we're going. Uh, but there, and I'll kind of show you as we step through uh, where Ezekiel wouldn't speak. He wouldn't be able to say anything. And it was, it was this, this point that... Um, this is where the creativity of God comes in, because God basically is saying, you won't listen to my prophets when they speak to you. So I'll make a prophet not speak and see if it, if it raises any type of curiosity in you. And there's two or three different times where the people would ask Ezekiel, why don't you just say what you're trying to say? Just speak. Just tell us what you're trying. What are you doing here? Tell, give us an answer. And even God told Ezekiel, he said, at one point he says, listen, these people are asking you questions. And God's kind of, in this, in this mode, God's almost like, finally they're interested in me again. Finally they're willing to want to know what I'm doing. Because the way that God creatively uses Ezekiel is, is I would, I'm, let me tell you, oh, I would struggle if God took my voice away. I would struggle. But there's a point in me, too, that kind of like as Jeremiah says, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. Like as Ezekiel, Ezekiel had to get this message out. He had to share what God was doing and what he was saying. And so um, it's uh, uh, the one theme in this book. um, uh, There's a uh, he even had even Ezekiel had to prophesy at one point of his own wife and how she dies. And then God was even telling him, you're not allowed to mourn for your wife. We'll see that in a couple of chapters. And we it's like because I want the morning to be quiet of that. I want the morning of Jerusalem to be even greater. Like the way God presents it makes him do that. It's just, it's hard to deal with. That's in chapter 24. We'll get there in a minute. So here's the theme of Ezekiel's book. You know, each week I try to give a theme for the book, uh, whether it be, um, you know, the weeping prophet or um, the, the eulogy, as we talked about with Lamentations last week. This week, uh, they, you know, Ezekiel is a, is a unique character. Uh, but I found there's a phrase that is repeated 70 times in this book. Seven zero, 70 times. And that phrase is, they shall know I am Jehovah. They shall know I am Jehovah. That's the, that's the phrase that is repeated 70 times in this book. They shall know I am Jehovah. If there's a message Ezekiel's trying to get across, 
It's that everybody's going to know he's Jehovah. He is the one in total control, and he's never wrong. He's holy. He's perfect. Um, That phrase is seen 34 times when it talks about God's punishment to Jerusalem. 34 times. So when God speaks of the punishment to Jerusalem, he says that they shall know I am Jehovah. That though, when my destruction of Jerusalem is going to prove to everyone I am Jehovah. They're going to know I'm Jehovah. Eighteen times when, when God talks about the Gentile nations uh, that we'll see in the sections uh, coming. God talks about uh, judgment on the Gentile nations. Eighteen times. Why? So that they shall know I am Jehovah. Uh, and then eighteen times about the coming restoration of Israel in the latter days. And so there is... Um, 70 times where uh, we should know he is Jehovah. Like, how many times do we have to hear it? Apparently 70. Um, so this, this book has three pretty simple divisions in it, uh, and, and they're not like laid out, this is section one, section two, but um, there's, there's dealings with different things. So the first 24 chapters we talked about was uh, the, the, the dealings with the fall of Jerusalem. So I call that the fall of Judah. Uh, and so the first section is the fall of Judah, That's chapters 1 through 24. The second section, I'm calling the enemies of Judah. That's the Gentile nations. That's chapters 25 through 32. Uh, That's when God specifically is is telling Ezekiel to uh, speak to the the enemies of of Judah. And then the last section, I call the future of Judah. That's chapters 33 through 48. And so that is the coming ages. Now there's a lot of... of, of, um, I'll tell you the hardest part about Ezekiel for me. I've had some people in my life that uh, I follow and that I listen to, some that uh, just showed up in my life, that are um, very big into prophecy. Very big into prophecy. And if you get in, if somebody is, is I, I feel like there's a point you can get a little too into prophecy, in my, in my opinion, because <laughs> you get kind of crazy, you see everything uh, in prophecy. But uh, if, if there's some people that, that, and anytime you talk about prophecy, the book of Ezekiel comes up. Because there's so much about the end times in Ezekiel, in the last section, uh, that is wild. In fact, in Ezekiel 38, uh, there's a, a war that breaks out. And um, there, there is a lot of, of prophetic teachers today that tells you you can turn on the news and see that war. And there's, there's a lot that happens. Now, um, which is nerve-wracking, right? And it's like, you talk about prophecy so much, you're like... Oh, we're here. Like we, we are we are at the, the 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 we are the last moments of the last day, right? We are at the last times. And so I, I don't want to necessarily jump into too much of that with the book of Ezekiel. Um, I want to give us a good because we, we, we've been going through the history and to go into the rest of the prophets after this, I want to be sure we have a good foundation. Uh, at, at another point we'll talk about prophetic things and, and things that are coming and the stuff you can turn on the news and look at, I don't know. We'll, we could talk about that at another time. But for this Bible study today, uh, I want to look through a lot of the, 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 the fall of Judah and the, the enemies of, of Judah that he talks about. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about how the, the book of Ezekiel, how I think it outlines at the end. But um, today, as we jump into verse, chapter 1, uh, we see that uh, Ezekiel has this, this first uh, vision and it says he looks and behold, he sees this thing. Now, this first vision is wild. I had a, uh, it talks about a wheel. It talks about a wheel in wheels and wheels and all this. I, the first time I sat in a, uh, as, a, as an ordained minister, I went to a church and we sat in an ordination council. And the, the pastor of that group looked at the young man that, he was, that we were ordaining 
And he said, you know, at that point you ask basically their theological understanding and their, their doctrinal understanding in order to ordain somebody. You want to know that they believe how you believe, right? You want to, you want to know they're not like, oh yeah, the virgin birth didn't matter. That, if, if that doesn't matter, I'm not ordaining you, right? That's not, not going to happen. It matters. If it's in the book, it matters. So the guy, this young guy, he was, he was 20 years old, and he's sitting here, and there's this big group of men, all of us in suits, and like, we look like a like military, like secret service, you know, sitting here. And we're just like asking this kid a bunch of questions about the Bible. And this senior pastor, he said, I'd like for you to explain to me Ezekiel's wheel. And as he looked, as he said that, I thought, what is this kid going to say? Like, this is... I'm, I don't know that any of us can really explain the wheel. What are you talking about, man? And like this kid just looked at him and he said, Sir, there's a lot of things in the Bible I don't understand. That's one of them. But I will learn it. I'll do my best to learn it. And he was like, I'm just kidding with you, kid. I'm not going to really push you that hard. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this poor guy is just wanting to be in ministry. I was like, welcome to ministry, young man. This is going to be a lot of questions you can't answer. Um, but in this first vision here, he talked about this wheel. And if I can, I'll just explain it this way. I'm not going to dive too much into it. The wheel, if you can picture a, a kid's gyroscope, right? So you've got a, a, a ring and then inside of it, another ring, and inside of it, another ring, and they all go different directions, right? You know what I'm talking about? And it's this spinning, and it, they, never collide, they never collide, they never clash. It's, it's, it's uh, harmony and it's, it's organization and it's union and it's, and it's also power. If, you ever, if you're ever holding a, a gyroscope in your hand and it starts spinning and moving, you can feel the power that is within it. This is explaining the governance of God. And there's, there's all these different uh, cherubim, these angels that are around it. And this is, this is God saying, my government, is, is, my government doesn't lose. Like The way I govern things is the way it's supposed to happen. And so we look at that as uh, the government of God. Um, and then, then we see that there's horrors coming. There's flashes of lightning. There's this power. This is what Ezekiel sees. There's horrors coming. And what does Ezekiel do? When he sees this power of God on display, he falls down in worship. That's what he does. Then chapter 2 comes. And when we see chapter 2, God then speaks. So the first thing is Ezekiel sees God. Okay? A lot like if we go back to Isaiah, Isaiah saw God before he ever heard God. Like he saw the, the glory of God in the temple, and then he, he heard the voice of God. And what same thing happened there. Same thing happened there. Isaiah begins to worship, and then whenever we hear God, so when we see God, worship happens. But when we hear God, action happens. It, it, God tells Ezekiel in chapter 2, he says, Son of man, stand to your feet. You know what he says? Get up. You are in worship, and worship is great, but now it's time for action. God never calls us just to worship, fall down, and never get up. That's not what He calls us to do. When we see Him, we worship. When we hear Him, we put ourselves into action. It's the reason we do Bible studies, right? It's so that we can hear God. It's the reason those men gathered together last night, so we can hear God. Why? Because we're expecting now to get up and do something, to get up and have action. So when we see Him in worship... It puts us in the right mind, mind frame, the right heart space, and then we hear him. And in chapter 2, when we hear him, action happens. He, times, he tells Ezekiel, it's time to stand up and listen to me. Um, and he tells, he tells Ezekiel this in chapter 2. He says, uh, I want you to sound the alarm. That's what I want you to do. But he says, I'm, I'm going to make you do it without words. Then I'm going to make you do it with words. You'll see. You'll get it. That's what he's telling Ezekiel. Now, if God tells me, hey, I want you to preach to the people, but you're not going to use any words. I'm going to make sure you don't speak. It's like, wait, hold up. 
but how am I going to speak if I'm not going to speak? He's like, I'm going to speak through you. You see, you'll see, you'll see. So he tells Ezekiel this. Ezekiel's like, okay, let's get ready. Let's get ready to do this. Uh, chapter three, uh, is, he's, he's mentioned as the watchman over the house of Israel, which is a beautiful phrase. I wish we could dive into what the watchman is. But a watchman, basically the one that's supposed to give the clear warning for any, any impending danger, anything. You're, you're looking out for the city. Um, and here's what God, God warns Ezekiel in this chapter, in chapter three, as he says that he gives a very clear warning. He says, if I tell you something, and you don't say it, then it's on you. He says, if I tell you something and you don't warn people, then my destruction that happens is your sin. It's like, it's not there. It's not on them anymore. It's on you. Like this, this, this is where the calling of a man of God scares me to death. Because here's, here's the honest truth. If God tells me to say something and I don't, I stand in disobedience to him and I don't want to experience his wrath. I don't want to experience the punishment that comes with that. He tells Ezekiel, if I tell you something, and if I don't tell you something, and you go say something, it's on you. That's not, it's not my man is not going to do those things. So it's a very, very clear warning. And this is also where he tells him, he's like, you're going to be silent for a season, and you'll see. So chapter four, now he gets to, to act this stuff out. So chapter four, um, we're not going to go through each chapter like this, by the way. I just, we got to set it up so we can get to where we're going. Some of y'all are like, man, we won't get out here until 3 o'clock today. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we will. We will. Uh, so the, the first part of chapter 4, um, we see the, the, the imagery and him acting out things. So here's where we are now. We are um, in the ex- we're, in the, we're with the exiles in Babylon. Uh, Ezekiel has got this vision from God. He sees that God's order is going to never fail, and he's powerful, and he's going to do it. He speaks to Ezekiel, says, time for you to stand up. You say what I tell you to say. You don't say what I tell you not to say. You do exactly what I say, and we're going to be fine. So then the first thing that happens, he, um, uh, there's, there's a couple of different uh, uh, illustrations he gives here. I'm not going to read them all, but in chapter 4 and 5, you'll read, you'll read where this is. Um, he talks about a tile. So Ezekiel draws a picture of Jerusalem and show on this, on this piece of tile. This piece of tile is a couple feet by a couple feet. Uh, so it's pretty large. And he draws a picture of Jerusalem getting taken over. He's not speaking. He's just drawing a picture. And then he puts a piece of iron in between him and the tile, his picture he drew. So he's like, this is what he did. Now, we know afterwards, hindsight's twenty twenty. what he's saying is, it's better to be in exile than experience the, the siege that's coming. So he's, he's, saying, he's referring back to Jeremiah 24, where Jeremiah says there's good figs and there's bad figs. He says, we're, we're, the, we're, in the, the, we're going to experience the better half of this. Because if you're here experiencing God's wrath, it's not going to be a pretty sight. So he puts this, this is the first picture he does. Then, uh, which is the final siege that takes place in Jerusalem. Then he's got another uh, uh, illustration in chapter 4 about his food. This one is super gross. I'm not even going to talk about it with you because it's nasty and it's gross. It, get, it makes me like nauseous every time I think about it. Um, but he, uh, uh, as, he's, as he's doing this uh, with the food, um, he's talking about, basically he's, pointing, he's painting the picture that there is hunger and, and desolation, destitution. Like there's not going to be enough, there's not going to be enough food. There's going to be famine in Israel, in, in, in Jerusalem. It's going to be ugly. And so it was, uh, uh, that's what defines the city before its final blow. Then in chapter 5, we keep, we keep reading. In chapter 5, um, it's, uh, there's, there's a thing about his hair, the prophet's hair. And uh, this is where he, he 
he cuts his hair, he, he gets his hair, um, and he, he takes shavings from his hair and his, his face, his beard, and he divides it into three parts. Now, if you're, if you're in exile in Babylon, and you're watching this guy, what, how crazy, it's, it's like this guy's lost his mind. He's drawing pictures of Jerusalem being overthrown, much like a child would do. He is, he is putting this food on this plate. He's cooking it in this nasty, defiling... If he, if he's, a, he's a prophet and priest, much like Jeremiah. And, and in the prophet-priest role, you can't even touch the things he's touching. Like, it's, it's inappropriate. He's doing these things. So, every, so now it's like people are thinking, well, he's obviously not the guy we're supposed to listen to. Look what he's doing. It's gross. It's nasty. Now he's taking his hair and his shavings from his face. He's shaving his head and his hair. He's, he's putting, and he separates his hair into three piles. This is gross. I don't know why people are watching him. And they're like, well, let's see what he's doing. He takes one, set, one bundle of his hair and he burns it. He takes another and he cuts it up with a sword. And then he takes a third and he scatters it in the wind. He's not explaining a word. What is he doing? And and what we see is, if you look at this, if you look at what happened in Jerusalem when it was taken over the final time, a third of the people died of hunger. They burned up inside because they had no food. A third of the people were killed in battle, and a third of the people were scattered. I mean, this, stuff, this stuff's happening exactly the way Ezekiel's playing it out. And as he's, as he's doing this, as he's watching it, it's like, what is going on? We go into chapter 6 and 7. Uh, these two chapters deal with um, uh, two sermons where Ezekiel calls out the nation uh, because of their sins. Um, and he's saying, listen, the day is here. It, the time is running out. We are so close, so close to misery. It's coming. Um, and he, he talks about in here, it's only going to be a short time till the final stage. In these two, uh, two chapters, we will, you, if you read them, uh, you can kind of summarize that the city is going to be burned. There's going to be destruction in the temple. Um, and then there's going to be an exile of whoever's remaining in Jerusalem. It's going to be ugly. And this is all about the fall of Jerusalem. Again, Jeremiah is saying the same things back in Jerusalem. And everybody hates him, calling him a traitor. Ezekiel's saying this now, but he's not even saying it, or he, he gets to the point now where he's, he's saying some things, and people are just, they, they, don't, they don't believe him. They think he's lying. They're like, why do you hate Jerusalem so bad? He's like, and he's like, I can't even explain that I'm not the one saying this. It's literally God speaking through me. It's not, I don't hate Jerusalem. I love Jerusalem. I love God's city. I love God's people. I just can't, this, this is going to happen. He's like, I can take you back to this gyroscope I was looking at where it was perfect never fit and there was so much power in it you think you can overthrow this thing you can't it is going to happen then we see in chapter number eight uh, these next few chapters chapters eight through eleven chapter eight specifically uh, shows us even more about some things in in jerusalem in this in chapter eight there's a clear vision again he gives another date and he says he was sitting in the house and then the hand of the lord just came upon him and took him away <laughs> and put him in jerusalem now this is a vision that, I, that uh, Ezekiel is having. And he sees, he goes to Jerusalem very vividly. Chapter 8 is super cool. You should definitely read it on your own time. Uh, he saw exactly what was going on. And when he was in there, when he was in Jerusalem, he saw exactly why God's anger was so fierce. He saw why God was so angry. He saw idolatry. Uh, he was even told to dig a hole in the wall 
This is so cool. I don't know how you do this in a vision, but he's told to go dig a hole in the wall. He dug a hole in the wall and he looked and inside the wall was what they were burning incense to gods that weren't our God. And what, what, that, what that meant was the people in Jerusalem were not only, you know, again, when I said there's two, there's two deportations that happen. Why would the people of Israel not turn to God? Like, come on, this is headed into destruction. Instead, they were hiding their worship thinking God wouldn't see him. What? Like, what? <laughs> How is this even going? And God's like, not only do I see you, I'm going to bring a guy from out of exile to come and look at you. I want you to think about that. For How humiliating is this for the Jewish people? Like, not only did God say, yeah, I see you, I'm going to let somebody see you too that's hundreds of miles away. In, in slavery, he can't get out of the city he's in. I'm going to take him out of the city just to prove that truly I have no, nothing I can't do. I'm going to bring him out. I'm going to let him see inside the walls where you're having these little pagan practices. That's what he does in chapter 8. They thought God couldn't see him. That's how far away they were. He saw, it, while he was there, women weeping at an idol, uh, uh, Tammuz. That idol was the son of a queen, uh, a queen god. Uh, they saw these women weeping at this, uh, and that, that god specifically, uh, Tammuz, was one that uh, the queen lost her son, and he was the wandering son, and she always wanted him to come back. And so the women were weeping at this idol because the son of this queen god had been gone, the whole time I'm reading this and I'm like, they're not weeping over the city of Jerusalem at all. They're weeping over something that doesn't even exist. Like they're weeping over a false God. That's what Ezekiel is seeing. He also sees in verse 16 of chapter 8, if you read that, I don't even want to read it because it makes me almost nauseous. He, he sees that the, chief, the chiefs and the priests were in the holy place. They were in the holy place, right there at the Holy of Holies. They had their back turned to the Holy of Holies, worshiping the sun. That's what they were doing. In this. And so at this point, I mean, we are seeing there is, there is some massive issues in Jerusalem happening. Chapter 9 then begins to detail how God deals with it. He sends six, uh, six men of, uh, in, in the stature. He sends them, uh, one to go through the city and mark on everyone who is actually sad over the abominations in, in Jerusalem. So if you were in Jerusalem and you were mourning over, we're broken and we're messed up, we need God. If that was you, then you got a mark on you. Then there were six others that went behind and just slaughtered everybody else. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's what he's seeing in chapter number nine. He sees this, these executioners. Um, and as we see that, we, we go through, and as, as we're looking all the way through chapter 11, one of the things that I, I, I realized, I've never seen this before in Ezekiel, um, but this survey, which again, you know, I asked earlier, like, is this even worth it for the Bible study time? Because I spent so many hours, like so many hours. And then it's like, it's worth it for me. It's just worth it for me to be in the Word because I saw something I've never seen before. In, in these chapters uh, from 8 to 11, I watched and I saw the Shekinah glory of God move from where it was, it moved out, to the outer wall, to the threshold, outside of where, the, where it was, moved to the threshold. Then it moved out again to the outside. Then it moved out again. I saw the Shekinah glory of God slowly leaving Jerusalem. The glory of God left. As I saw it, I, I wrote down four or five, five different instances where it talks about it. It was in the holy place at first in chapter 8, verse 4. 
And then um, it went to the threshold of the temple, which again, it moved, it moved from one place to another, right? Away in, in chapter 9, verse 3. Then I saw it rose above the threshold, chapter 10, verse 4. Then it says it retired to the eastern gate in chapter 11, verse, 32, verse 23. And then at the end of that, it moved to the mountain east of the city. The glory of God slowly left the city. Like, I don't know if there's a more horrendous thing that can happen than the glory of God moving out of the holy of holies. Like, how is this even taking place? And Ezekiel says, and what God's doing is absolutely right. Because the people are so far from him and they are refusing, refusing to, uh, to, to, to do anything to come back to him. Uh, whenever the vision's over, Ezekiel told the captives there in Babylon. Remember, he's in Babylon. He's not even in Jerusalem. He told all the captains in Babylon, he's like, hey, here's, here's what's happening in Jerusalem. In case you're wondering, they're like, how do you know? He's like, I was there. When were you there? A minute ago? How were you there a minute ago? God, I don't, it's just the way it happens. He's, he's good. He's, he's awesome. He takes me wherever I, wherever I want to go. Uh, it's wonderful. Chapters uh, 12 all the way through 19 uh, give us a little bit of, of more, more signs and sermons. Um, the people had to learn that this was happening. It is going to finish its course. Ezekiel could not, could not uh, stop. God could not stop communicating because this still hadn't finished its course yet. And so they needed to learn it. Uh, he acted out a sermon in chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 16. What we see, he does, this is what he does. He takes these bundles. He makes these bundles during the day. He makes these bundles. Then he does this thing where um, he, he built these bundles during the day. Then he dug a passage through the wall of his house. Here's what, here's, this is crazy. I, I, you need to go read this in chapter 12. He, he, then he disguised himself at night. So this is going, this is a whole day. I mean, it's a whole process. He's, he, then he disguises himself, puts a thing on his face, paints up, and then he, he creeps through the hole in his house with the bundle. So he's, he's, he's put this bundle together. He's, he then digs a hole in, in the wall of his house. He disguises himself. And at night, he picks the bundle up. Like, who's sitting around watching this? <laughs> like, what's he doing now? He picks the bundle up and he creeps. He says he crouches down and he creeps through the hole in his wall and they're watching it and they're like this guy has lost it there's a door on your house man there is like you made the bundles earlier in the day what are you doing why are you painted up why are you all disguised you are crazy it was to show that uh, this is how the the last captivity the last uh, uh, group would come in in captivity and by the way it happened five years later almost exact I mean it looked like that the way it played out in Jerusalem, how the captives were out, they left by night and carried all their things and snuck in, wild, like is this the way it, it took place. Um, we, also, we also see he was pretending, when he was eating, he was told to pretend to be afraid while he was eating. Don't you think about, how crazy do you look whenever you're eating and you look afraid? Don't you think about, think about that for just a bit, you know, he's eating his food and he just, <gasps> all, I mean like, I, at this point, I don't know how this guy is taken seriously. I mean, the way he's doing things is just why. And God's telling him exactly what to do. And he says, if you don't do it exactly like I say, it's on you. I'm going to tell this is what I want you to do. So he does it. 
And he's, as, he's, as he's doing all these things, it's, it's just wild. Terror is coming. That's what he's trying to explain. Be careful. You're not going to realize when it happens, you may be sitting at your bowl of porridge, right? That may be uh, what happens. In chapter 14, he even says, this, this phrase blew my mind, uh, verses 14 and verse 20 in chapter 14 says, even if Daniel, Noah, and Job were in Jerusalem, they couldn't turn it around. This is God telling Ezekiel, even if Daniel, Job, and Noah were all three in Jerusalem at the same time. Now, Daniel was in captivity with Ezekiel. We're going to talk about Daniel at another point uh, in, in the, the, our, our studies. Daniel was in captivity. Daniel, but Daniel was in this prestigious, high manager. I mean, he was, he was affluent, had all this power. Uh, he says, if Daniel, Noah, and Job were all in Jerusalem... It would not be, it couldn't turn it around. It wouldn't, still wouldn't be good. Uh, we, we see that then through uh, the end of these chapters, he, he just continues on with destruction's coming, destruction's coming. This, people are going to die. This is going to be ugly. Then chapters 20 through 24, uh, here's where um, he explains every bit of this judgment is 100% deserved. He's saying God's not wrong for this. Don't think God is wrong because this, this looks like it's bad. You know, we say, why do bad things happen to good people? First off, there's no good people. Secondly, God's doing what he's, he's doing because he's God and he knows what's right and he knows what's best. So he says he's absolutely right. Um, some people showed up and they were like, hey, Ezekiel, man, what, why is this so bad? What's, what's, why is this so terrible? Why don't you bring us some comfort? The Jews are God's people, right? Everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. We're gonna, we will be fine. And Ezekiel's saying, we're not going to be fine. This is going to get ugly. And in these chapters, he explains some history of the, the continued rebellion that was taking place with Israel. He started in Egypt. He's like, you guys remember Egypt? Yeah, we messed up. You guys remember our fathers in the wilderness? Yeah, they messed up. We messed up there. You guys remember the children in the, in the wilderness? Remember we complained? We, yeah, we messed up. He's like, you remember whenever uh, in the land, whenever we got to the promised land? You guys remember all this? He's going back. He's like, we've not done this right yet. We have failed and failed and failed and failed. I'm surprised God hasn't just given up on us. He's like, but God's too good. He's going to continue, but we, are, we, have, we, don't, des we don't deserve to be set free. We deserve to be held captive for a long time. He says, now, even in exile, we're messing up still. We still don't have this right. The nation had persisted in their rejection of God, and he won't have it anymore. Chapter 23 gives an explanation of, uh, of the city, and that gives two cities. In these two cities, um, you see Jerusalem is even worse than Samaria. It, it, it gives a little bit of a, of a that kind of illustrative perspective of a woman who is vile and uh, very seductress and, and filthy and um, uh, just awful and shameless. And it explains that even Jerusalem is more shameless than Samaria in this, in this story. <clears throat> then in chapter 24, he explains that the days come. Jerusalem's under attack. Here we are. The siege of Jerusalem happens. Um, Jerusalem's under attack. Nebuchadnezzar surrounded the city. He's taking it. It's over. Game over. And Ezekiel's wife dies in chapter 24. And when his wife dies, we see that he couldn't even mourn over her. And this is where in, in verse number 19, I told you some people were asking questions, right? Chapter, verse number 19 of chapter 24. And the people said to me, will you not tell us 
what these things mean, that you are acting thus. Why are you acting this way? Tell us what you mean. Tell us what you're saying. I hope we never get to the point where we are so deaf to the voice of God that God says, fine, I'll give you sign language. He's not, he's, this, is, this is the way God, he's, he's relentless in his pursuit of us. He's relentless. Now, that's, um, he, and Ezekiel was told not to mourn over his wife. He's like, I want the mourning over the city of Jerusalem to take heart, to take, that's, that's how powerful I want this to be. You know, Jeremiah was lonely. Ezekiel, his wife dies. He can't even mourn her death. Like, it is hard. This is a difficult, difficult life. Now we see, I know we're almost done now, but um, now what we see in, uh, in, this, in the scriptures is this second section of the enemies of Judah, chapter 25 through 32. I want to give you just a little overview, just a real, real brief overview of this. Um, we get to the Gentile nations that are surrounding Judah. Uh, Ezekiel prophesying during the siege about the other nations. It's important to know the siege of Jerusalem is happening while Ezekiel's talking about other nations now. He's basically like, that came true. Let me tell you something else. Let me get you, let me, let me let you see around the world a little bit to know. If you look at a map, he does this in order, in an order. Um, I, I believe God is a God of order. I think we see that from chapter 1. I think we see that he does this in a, in a, in a, a system. Um, he does this in order. Uh, if you look at a map, he prophesied first about the nations on the east, and then he goes to those on the west, and then he goes to, those, to that one in the south of Egypt. Um, if you like prophecy, if you're a person that likes prophecy, and you, and you like history or learning or reading about what happened in history, this is your section right here. This is from chapters 25 to 32. This is it. Um, some incredible, incredible, uh, very vivid, detailed uh, prophecies. And you get to see how it plays out exactly. Um, just, some, just some notes about these places he talks about. He talks about Ammon first. Uh, they mocked God's people when they became poor. So whenever they, they were hungry, Ammon mocked God's people. God didn't have it. Moab was another place. They rejoiced whenever Judah was was stripped of its power. So you've got these, these two enemies of Judah so far, one of them that is just mocking them when they're poor, one of them that's rejoicing that, they've, uh, that they don't have any power anymore. Uh, Edom is another of these uh, cities, nations, uh, people that uh, was outside. The people of Edom uh, was those who just treated Judah brutally. They just did not, they didn't treat them well. They were mean to them. They were uh, uh, vile and just harsh. Uh, Philistia, uh, Philistia is another city. They physically took out vengeance on Judah, brute force. Each of these nations had problems with Judah, and they, they, they were different nuisances, different problems. You know, you've got some that'll mock you if you don't have anything. You've got some that'll rejoice when you fail. You've got some that'll just beat you up. Like, these are the nations that are surrounding. And then you've got these, uh, these two cities that come, these sister cities, uh, Tyre and um, Sidon. So this is a really long prophecy, the major in this section. Um, and this is uh, very important to know. If you like prophecy stuff, if you like to hear, these, these, these are really cool. Um, because in the city of Tyre, the, um, the king of Tyre, which is, uh, has the same imagery, he's spoken of like the way the devil is spoken of. Like, I mean, this imagery is vivid and it is harsh and it is cruel and evil. And he's a bad dude, like the worst of the worst. Um, and Ezekiel told eventually of the destruction of this city, um, fulfilled literally in part two ways, by Nebuchadnezzar and then later by Alexander the Great. This is where you got to get some history in. This, this city fell 
in part, full, exactly the way Ezekiel said it was going to, in two different parts. Uh, the first by Nebuchadnezzar, the second by Alexander the Great. In the next city, uh, the sister city, Sidon, uh, Sidon would suffer but not become extinct. They said the city of, of Tyre would be completely extinct, and it was. It did, ended up with Alexander the Great, uh, just extinct altogether. The city of Sidon, however, would be uh, brutally, it would be an awful, awful uh, suppression, and they would be suffer much, but they wouldn't become completely extinct. Uh, you may know Sidon by this lady named Jezebel. Uh, she was a Sidonian, and she was the one that really introduced to Israel and to the people of God uh, the, the false religions that came out of that city. So Jezebel was the one that um, introduced all those lustful idols to Israel. Um, and then Egypt, uh, whenever it gets into the prophecies against Egypt, um, is uh, really uh, harsh, really hard. There's six prophecies against this nation, um, including one where the Pharaoh literally goes down to Hades. Like, it is awful, 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 awful. There's some harshness. Um, but in all of these prophecies, here's what I want to bring it around to. In all these prophecies, that thing that remains is, you shall know I am Jehovah. You shall know. He says, listen, if you are a part of those, my people in Jerusalem, I'm going to destroy Jerusalem and you're going to know that I'm Jehovah. If you are a Gentile nation and you've been against my people, you're going to know I'm Jehovah. There's not going to be a question in your mind. I am, I am Jehovah. Doesn't matter what you thought before. Doesn't matter what you think's coming. The one thing you're going to know is that I'm Jehovah. There is no God like me. I control everything, all everything. This section, in my, in my uh, uh, scholarly opinion, I say that jokingly, <laughs> in my very limited understanding, uh, this section to me says uh, that if you fail to find God when he's giving his mercies, you will find him when he's bringing his wrath. If you find him in, your, in his mercies, you, you won't find him in his wrath. You're going to find him in his mercies. But here's the ultimate fact. You will find him. Everyone on this planet is going to find him. You're either going to find him in his mercies and grace, or you're going to find him in his wrath and his, his, uh, his holiness. Um, the last few chapters, and I'll just wrap up with this, uh, chapters 33 through 48, uh, is the future of Judah. So we've gone from the, the, the fall of Judah in the, the nation in Jerusalem. We've seen now the Gentile nations and just uh, the harshness that God deals with the people that were against his people. And then we see the future of Judah. This is where uh, there's a lot of things that are um, beautiful and amazing. And if you want to know what's coming in the world, you can read some of this section uh, and you can see what's coming. And I, and I promise this, it's going to happen. There's no question about it. And if you want to know, you can just read 18 times in this section that we're going to know he's Jehovah. We're, we're gonna know, there's no question he is Jehovah. There's, it doesn't matter who, you, who thinks in this world that they are really king of this world. They, they're going to know he's Jehovah. They're going to know it. You can read it in the rest of this book. Um, in chapters 33 through 36, uh, what you will find is that the troubles are gone. The troubles of God. The, the Lord's going to send them out, and there is some healing that takes place uh, whenever Judah is restored. You're going to see then in uh, chapters 37 through 39, the tribes are regathered. The tribes of Judah are gathered back together. You know, um, it wasn't too long ago that the nation of Israel became a nation again. 
You know where I saw that? In Ezekiel. <laughs> That's where I saw it. Um, there's also a time coming where um, the tribes are regathered, meaning that the people of Israel are going to go home uh, from all around the world. That's going to happen. I think we're in the process of that happening. I think that we are very close to seeing that fulfilled, and that I find that in Ezekiel. Um, I said I wasn't going to dive too much into this. I'm not, I'm going to, man, i got to get moving. Then uh, we see in chapters 40 through 47, the temple gets rebuilt. I follow this thing online called the Temple Institute in, in the Holy Land, and it is like they've, they've got the blueprints, the plans ready for the temple. They're waiting on one piece, and that piece is very, very close. Like the, the temple's going to be rebuilt. It's, it's going to happen, and it's going to be amazing. Um, and then the last thing we see in chapter 48 of Ezekiel is that the title is restored to the nation. The title is restored. God is Jehovah. There is none like him. He's the one, uh, and their, their title will be restored. I, there is so much in this last section that I want to share. But again, I think uh, as I've looked through the whole scriptures as we are walking through this study together, I really believe that for our continued survey, what we've seen today may help us as we continue on to understand more of the scripture uh, for what it is. A lot of times we get, we get really caught up in prophecy because it's about what's to come. Um, and I think that sometimes we, we, get, we, we take ourselves then out of the Bible, right? And so we, we end up watching more of the news to prove the Bible rather than reading the Bible to change our hearts and to live a life that's more honoring to Him. So I want us to, to really focus in over the next couple of weeks as we uh, continue through the Scriptures to allow the Scriptures to change us. Um, there's a lot in the book of Ezekiel. I wish we had multiple hours uh, to, to go through it. I wish I didn't have a limited capacity to take you through more of it. Um, next week, we are looking at another really wild one in the book of Daniel. So I want to encourage you next week, be prepared. The book of Daniel is a fun one. It's a fun one happening in exile. Uh, we know some of the great stories of our childhood of VBS happen in the book of Daniel. Uh, we also know there's some things we won't talk about at VBS in the book of Daniel. So there's a little bit of both. Um, so I look forward to that next week with you guys. Um, let's pray and then we will close.